0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, the ministry of Compass Church, your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. It is great to see so many of you, and if you are fortunate, you'll get a chance to jump on the um, one of the bouncers afterwards. Um, I don't mean like a big dude that tells you to get out. I mean the inflatables that we have out in the um, in the area out there. That um, the big we have a giant one out there that really is intended for adults. It's not really for kids. Um, and we bought them. We, they, we own all of them because when we found out that you can buy an inflatable for adults, we said um, we're going to do that. And so you can play dodgeball in there, you can play basketball, they have basketball hoops in there, they have like you can play tennis, I think. I don't know if you play tennis, but you can play soccer or whatever. And then, of course, you can just tackle each other, which is really fun too. Anyway, great to see you. My name is Tim Jacobs. I'm lead pastor here at Compass, and I'm so glad that you carved out some time to be with us today. We're on a series here called The Real Deal in an era of fake everything, and we know, right, there's fake news, there's fake Instagram pictures, there's fake everything all around, and it's very hard to be able to look at anything that's coming through the internet or coming through the news media or whatever and say, is that really true? And so in this era we're trying to figure out are some are there some things that we can hang on to and I can we take some time to really think about who we are and who God is and and can we get to the place where we believe that these things are actually true so if you're new with us we have a rhythm here of what we do where really we take um, a section out of the Bible and we talk about it and it's kind of hard sometimes because the Bible was written a long time ago in a different culture in a different language even though that we're still all human beings so it takes some time for us sometimes to kind of pull out some of the stuff but we always believe that what the scripture had to say thousands of years ago is 100 percent relevant to us today and the other thing I want to point out to you is that we are starting connection groups this week and so you'll have in your program this connection group homework where you can take this sheet to your connection group and the nice thing about it is if you're new you don't need to worry about um, what we're going to talk about or whatever are they going to ask you a question that you don't know the answer to, because all of the answers are basically given in what we're going to talk about today, and they're listed on the questions that are here. This is what we'll be discussing. And if the the Connect Group leader starts asking a bunch of questions that are not on this list, you can report them, and uh, and we will we will. Um, kick them out no anyway I'm just kidding so we're in that we're in the book of 1st John in the Bible so if you have a Bible you can turn there it's way in the back almost to the Re- the book of Revelation almost to the index and all the pictures and graphs in the back but you can go to 1st John if you have a iPhone or a smartphone whatever you can turn there and as you're turning there I want to make this statement your life models what you believe your life models what it is you believe when you believe something truly in your heart, then your actions are going to follow. Now, not always perfectly, but your actions are an indicator of what it is that you believe, you know? So if you're driving down the tent and you believe there are no cops hiding out waiting to catch you, you're like, I'm going to go 85 and I'm not going to worry about it or 90 or whatever because I just don't fear that. If you, if you don't think the test is going to be that hard, then you're just not going to study. It's just the way that it is. If someone brings, you know, jalapeno chili to work and shares it with you and you don't think that's going to come back and bite you later on, you're going to eat it. You're like, I'll be fine, right? Our behavior is so often dictated or driven by or underwritten by our beliefs. And so John has been trying to help us understand what we believe about God because if we get that wrong, it's going to kind of mess up the how we're going to live and how we live is so important Because we can either bless the people around us, or we can shatter the people around us. We can be either a great indicator that there is a loving and good and just and holy God who wants to have a relationship and an encounter and a a, a deep um, walk with us, or we can communicate that God doesn't exist or that he's not interested by how we ourselves live. And so he's trying to help us understand what is it about God that That's so compelling for us to live differently. And so we're going to talk, we're going to kind of get into some, a little bit of some heavy stuff today. Um, you're, you're, you're really not going to, I don't want to say this, this isn't meant to sound arrogant, but at all, I don't want it to sound, but, but just honestly, you're not going to hear some of the things that we're going to talk about. You're not going to hear this in a lot of places because it is hard to kind of unpack and it is almost a little bit sensitive and it's difficult to kind of wrap our minds around. But like I said at the beginning, our, our, our whole MO here is we, we take the scripture as it is, you know, we play it where it lies. And we say, "Well, this is where it is. Let's hit it and see what happens with to it." So this is what John says in chapter 2. He says, "My little children." Now, by the way, when he says, "My little children," he's not talking to kids and he's not trying to be demeaning. Rather, he's talking about them like they're his beloved people that he loves, like his students, you know, his disciples, his his followers. And you, you had similar kinds of feelings towards people like your kids, you know, when you want them to understand something and you gather them around. You know, like, like my wife, you know, as, we're, as our kids are getting older, you know, like she wants to gather the children around and say, kids, this is a vacuum, you know. <laughs> and I want you to understand how this works. You plug it in and you turn it on. And it cleans up the messes that you have made. So I want you to get this because I only have so much time before you're off and, you know, you'll be a health hazard to the world. <laughs> so, so we want to be able to, so, he's, when he's, so understand the, the tone of what he's trying to say. He's trying to say this with, with compassion and grace and, and, and mercy and, and a passion for understanding what he has to say. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he says, I'm writing this to you so you, you'll be strengthened, you'll understand more, and that those beliefs that you have is, is you know, because we just had chapter 1, so now we're moving into chapter 2, but he says, I'm, I'm saying all this to you so that you won't sin. Now, obviously, he knows that that's kind of impossible, so he kind of says, well, and if anyone does sin, kind of like, well, you are going to sin, so it's going to happen. So if anyone does sin, I want you to know. And when you're in that place of guilt, and when you're in that place of shame, and when you're in that place of being trapped and snagged and ensnared by what you've done, the good news is this you have an advocate. You have someone who speaks on your behalf in your defense. And who is that person? It is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it's crazy because we see and understand and believe that Jesus is God himself. And so if you run it together, you say, listen, we don't want to sin against God, but if we do, we have an advocate, God himself, who speaks on our behalf. Now, that's kind of a crazy thing, but we might ask the question, well, why do we need someone to speak on our behalf anyway? I don't know if you've ever been the, um, been a defendant in a trial or something, but you know, like in a trial, when there's a defendant, the defendant has a defense attorney. And, and that obviously means that you're accused of something wrong. And then if things don't go well for this, you could be punished, you know, and that's, you need to be able to mount your defense so as to prevent, um, the, uh, the sentencing from happening, or at least to minimize it, or whatever, right? So it's kind of a big deal. And you might say, well, why would I need an advocate? And that he even goes further than that because he says this crazy phrase. And I want us to really camp on this phrase to deepen our understanding of who God really is and then how our behavior is supposed to flow from it. But he says this He is the propitiation for our sins. Now look at that word propitiation you say what does that mean and some of your Bible translations may have the phrase atoning sacrifice which is somewhat the the same thing it's kind of like interchangeable but I want to focus on this word propitiation because it's a word that most people don't really understand and it would be very easy for us to read past it and go well there's another thing that I don't really get and but yet the way that I would define that we would define propitiation is this turning God's righteous anger towards us into favor, approval, and esteem. Turning God's righteous anger towards us into favor, approval, and esteem. So this is kind of a big deal because what he's saying is he's saying, look, if you, you I'm writing this to try to help you avoid sin, ho- avoid missing the mark, avoid doing what is destructive and wrong and hurting yourself and the people around you. But if you do, you have someone who not only speaks on your behalf, but whose actions by dying on the cross has, has s- uh, soothed or satisfied God's righteous anger towards you for those acts and not only made it so he's not just neutral, but he's actually looking at you as with approval and, and enthusiasm and esteem and favor. So that should kind of blow you away. So you don't go back to a place of neutral or a clean slate. You actually get positive feelings given to you, even though technically you're guilty. Now that's kind of a crazy thing on several levels because first of all, it's a little jarring to hear that God would be angry at you even in the first place because it's very difficult in our culture for us to process that because no one likes it when you find out that someone's angry at you, right? It doesn't It kind of take you, like it kind of um, unsettles you, kind of knocks you off of course a little bit. You're like, well, I didn't even know this person was, was angry at me anyway. So for example, the other day I lost my wallet, and, uh, and I mean, I, have, I was very proud of myself because it's been a while since I've actually really lost it. I mean, sometimes you go, oh, is it over here, over here, and you find, but like, I didn't know where it was, and I was really getting concerned because I thought I left it at my kid's school because I had gone there to, to watch one of them do a performance, and, and so I left, and so I, ha- I actually went back to the school twice, because I thought it was here, and then I left a little bit, I turned around, came back, and now I'm getting a little bit concerned, because my I, my wallet is gone, and it's kind of really important and everything, and so obviously, so I'm kind of going, okay, this isn't good, and and so I was wondering, because my wife and I had switched cars, if it was in the car that I was in before, and I knew that my 14-year-old daughter was in that car, and that my wife wouldn't answer the phone because she's driving, and so, because um, you shouldn't do that, and. Uh, So, so I called, I called, well, first of all, I called my wife and she didn't answer the phone, so that's how I knew she wouldn't answer the phone. And then I called my 14-year-old daughter who didn't answer the phone either. And that bothered me because she's always on her phone, right? So when she's not in class, she's on her phone. So I'm going, wait a second, I'm calling you. I know you have your phone in your hand. You are not answering the phone. And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm like, I bet she's like, you know, on Snapchat and like having a conversation or like taking a picture of something and she's laughing and she sees my little phone call. She's like, I don't have time to talk to this guy, right? And this is what I'm imagining in my head. So I'm getting like Seriously ups- and, I'm, and I'm holding back. So this is not intended to be like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever done. I'm really, really trying hard to hold back. And so I text, I talk text her, a very stern message. And so I actually just went ahead and uh, screenshotted it so you can see. Um, it's actually nice when you pick up the phone. That's kind of why we got it for you. So maybe if you have a minute at some point in your life, you could call me back. <laughs> okay this is me. <laughs> you can read in the anger, right? You can read in the sarcasm and the snarkiness. The, and, and again, like I had, I, for me, I was using very good self-control because there's so many other things that were going to be a part of that text. And so anyway, so this is what happens, right? And then nothing, I get nothing back. And so I'm, so I'm whatever. And to keep on going, well, as it turns out, um, I did end up locating my wallet. And once I did, and once you come out of a little mini crisis like that, then everything kind of evaporates, right, as far as I'm concerned. I'm like, okay, hey, everything is forgotten, everything's fine. And so, you know, I, I found my wallet, I feel good, I can move on with my life. But then later on, I see my daughter. And I go, hey, babe, I just totally forgot about this little thing that I wrote. And I go, hey, babe, you know, what's going on? And, and she walks up to me and she goes, um, you and I have beef. And I go, what, what, what is, what is that? Like, did you, do you have beef? Did you, like, did you go to Arby's or something? Or I don't, what do you mean by beef? Or I guess that's, we have the meats, but um, whatever, meats, beef, whatever. I didn't know what she was talking about, but that's, I, that's like, that's the new way of saying, um, I have a beef with you, but that, you know, i never heard it put that way. Um, like we have beef, we have something between us. I'm like, Oh, what? She's like, what you texted me. She goes, and she so she said that was very rude, and I'm like, <laughs> I totally forgot about that, right? I'm like, and I so I was threw me off course. I'm like, whoa, she's like, she's she's I hurt her feelings, you know, and I and I didn't realize, and so I was kind of knocked off course a little bit. And she goes, and she's like, Dad, you know that wasn't cool, and so we had to kind of talk that through because here's what happens, I. In her mind, I acted inappropriately towards her, and when I did, I created distance distance from her. And when I did that, I produced an emotional reaction in her, and now I, I, she has something against me, and I didn't realize it, so I'm acting like it's no big deal, and all of a sudden, she's, she's coming at me like, you have offended me. And that, what happens is, right, when things like that happen in our lives, we're like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know that, I didn't realize you're caught off guard, and you're kind of immediately put in a defensive mode, right? So you're like, well, I didn't really mean that, or whatever. And, and you it's hard to process it's hard to process the idea of someone being legitimately angry at you when the first thing you want to do is defend yourself now we ended up working it out and you know I apologized and whatever but then I said but you still need to pick up your phone and she said that she, her phone was she was away from her phone and she told she had an alibi and all this kind of stuff but <laughs> The point is, while we can understand that kind of a relational rift that happens because when offenses are done, there's separation, right? The idea now, but now we can understand that from a a peer-to-peer, human-to-human, but now the idea of God being angry or wrathful at me is a very distasteful thing because most of the anger that we have experienced in our lives has been destructive and out of control and inappropriate. It has expressed itself in ways that are wrong and wicked and evil and sometimes doing things that you cannot undo and saying things that you cannot really unsay. And so if you grew up in a home where where your father was always angry or your mother was always angry and you walked on eggshells around them, then you get this understanding of any time the word anger or wrath is used, you take that and you apply it and put it on God and you're going, I don't want to even be around a kind of God that would act like my father or mother. Because those, that, that was wrong and, it was, and we cannot conceive then of an appropriate and justifiable and right level of anger, especially a kind that would be directed towards us. It's very hard for our minds to be able to really get wrapped around, especially when we, when we so often think that we haven't done anything that justifies it. So if we ask the question and said, if we really stop for a moment and thought this through, is there ever a place for righteous anger? Is there ever a time or an occasion where God would have the right to be angry with me? The right And even the responsibility, even justifiably. And I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about me or or you. Think about it from yourself. Is there ever a time that God would actually be justifiably righteous in being angry at me? When you think everything is fine, but God's like, hey, we have beef. Because if God is angry at us, it's never going to be excessive or out of control. It will be appropriate and justified. But what does it look like and how do we understand it? So, when I was a kid growing up in the San Fernando Valley in California, I was 13 or 14 years old. I don't remember somewhere around there. And I was walking with one of my buddies and we, it was at night. And we were walking down the street and we ended up just kind of sitting on this curve and we were just chit-chatting and talking. And we just got this idea, and I think it was my idea. And we took turns taking a little stick and jamming it into the valve stem of a parked car that we were right next to and just deflating the tire. <laughs> right? And we just, just kind of took turns deflating this tire until it was completely flat and then we took off and I don't remember I don't know who the person's car was per se it was a random act It was not intended to be malicious but it was just a thing that I did just deciding to deflate this person's tire now imagine for a moment what happened in the morning when the owner of the car wakes up and sees what happened now it could have been you know like a young teenage guy or whatever and it was like life happens but what if it wasn't what if when I sat there and deflated this tire all the way down to nothing that the car belonged to a single mom who is totally exhausted from another night of taking care of the kids all by herself. Her husband has recently walked out and she's trying to juggle all of the new responsibilities that come with being the mom and the dad. And now it's early in the morning and she's rushing out the door to get to work on time and she's got to drop the kids off at school on the way. And hopefully she won't be late to her hourly paying job because she's always there on time or a little bit early, but she's always cutting it close. And you never know with LA traffic and you never know with anything else that could happen. But she's tired, you know, and she's emotionally exhausted. And maybe she's quite frankly at the breaking point of her life where she just can't take much more stress. And she's just hoping that nothing else goes wrong. And the kids have their backpacks and their lunches and they're all standing ready to go and they're kind of juggling everything and she's just about ready to get them all loaded in the car and just as about, she's, she's about to shut the door. She looks and she sees this tire that's flat. And her heart just sinks. And she just says, really? Can it get any worse For me God are you even there do you even care about me I'm trying to do everything I possibly can to keep this family together and move us forward and I just when I barely thought I was making it now this and the kids are standing there like hey mom we're gonna be late for school and one of them says you know I have a test today and it's really important I got to get to school and now she has to go back into her house because there's no cell phones in 1987. You can't just call or get on your, you know, text or whatever. You have to go into your house to go on what they called a landline. But you, before you did that, you had to pull out a big book called the phone book. And it had a bunch of pages that were yellow. And you had to open it up and flip to the appropriate section. And find someone you thought you could trust. Who wasn't going to gouge you. And then you have to wait. And you wait. And you wait. Because she doesn't know how to do this. She hasn't dealt with this and so she waits for the guy to show up, and now she's out 60 bucks at least just for the guy to show up because he's not going to show up for nothing and changes her tire because she doesn't realize that it's just a flat, right, because that, that just someone actually deflated her tire. This thought never crossed her mind because who would do that? Who would do that? It's the last thing from her mind. And now she's not only out the $60, but she's two hours late for work, so she misses another $25 or whatever, and now that's $85. She's not going to be able to put towards her daughter's birthday party that's happening on Saturday, which just really sucks because she was excited about trying to do something kind of special underneath this cloud of crappiness that had been happening. And now she has to explain to her boss why she's late, which she cannot do there until she cannot do until she gets there because again it's 1987 and she doesn't have a phone and she takes off and she realizes that it's going to have to wait until she gets there and when she tells her boss the situation, her boss just rolls her eyes and sighs and says, "Here we go, another flaky worker who does not have reliable transportation." and looks at her with a demeaning, disdainful glare because she's contributing to the negativity of the company or whatever. And it's just one more piece of evidence in this narrative she's living out that says the world is against her and she can't win and she despairs of life. She despairs of life. Now, knowing that, how do you feel about me? How do you feel about me? You angry at me? You should be. You should be. Because what if that was your daughter that I did that to? Somebody's daughter. What is God supposed to think about me at that point? Oh, it's no big deal. He's just a, he doesn't, you know, he means well. How does meaning well make any difference to this person who woke up and it was the straw that broke the camel's back in their life? It was the last thing that they needed. It was an event that set a chain of other events in motion that just brought more negativity and despair into a person's life who was already thinking that the the cards were stacked against her. And God's like hey, this is one of my children that I love and I've been trying to show that I'm there why did you do this why did you create chaos in a person's life why did you do that is this why I put you on the planet and kept you alive so that you could you could do stupid things like this without thinking about the ramifications now does God not only have the right but the responsibility to avenge orphans and widows the innocent and the helpless God does not like people who do not consider their plight. He does not like people whose hearts are callous and uncaring and inconsiderate of the suffering of his children. He does not like people who hurt them, and that's very well what happened? And here's the deal. You're sitting there going, what's the big deal? All you did was just deflate a tire. I mean, if that's the worst you've ever done, Jacobs, I, I mean, I'm in serious trouble. And this is my whole point. This is not the worst I've ever done. This is child's play. This is nothing. It's one stupid teenage act, and yet carried out. And in consideration of the effects, second and third order consequences of injecting chaos, you see the ruin that could be brought about that doesn't count the things that I have done out of malicious intent that I have done out of willful rebellion that I have done with murderous thoughts in my heart of wanting to take a person down of wanting to ruin a reputation of wanting to sever a relationship of wanting to avenge myself in a way that is far greater of an effect than anything that was done to me it doesn't count any of the heartfelt and intentional acts of evil that I've done. Only something done as a stupid kid and yet even that I have demonstrated to you is enough to incur God's wrath because he does not like people who hurt the innocent. Now, Have you ever sat down and calculated? You know they call it the butterfly effect? The butterfly flaps its wings and then the little molecules cause something in a little wind and wind and then there's a tidal wave somewhere on the other side of the world. Well, I always thought that was weird. But it's kind of the opposite of the butterfly effect because that could be like a positive. This is like the scorpion effect, right? This is the negative. This is the sting and the, the corresponding reverberations of pain. And that scenario puts me in a bad spot. Mm. Because it started with me. It started with me. And God's like, you're in a bad spot, dude. So when John says, I'm writing this whole letter to you so that you will not sin, so that you will not do stupid things like deflate people's tires or any other number of things that we know we do that are really much worse. But if you do, but if you do, so I'm writing this that you won't do these, things. but if you do, you have an advocate. You have someone who speaks in your defense. If you find yourself to be an oppressor, a vandal, a liar, a cheater. And the weight of that guilt rests on you with a weight that you can't bear. And you open your eyes and you see the damage that can only be attributed and traced back to you. You have an advocate. So it says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so, your advocate who sees your situation and says yes by all accounts you are guilty yes by all accounts this these things that you have done resulted from a desire to be independent of god a desire to assert yourself in a prideful and inappropriate way over others a, a desire to deceive and to defraud your brother and sister whom god made in his image to, to to live in such a way that is contrary to why you've been created in the first place and all of these things are true and 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 God sticks up for the orphan and the widow and the oppressed and the poor and the downtrodden and all that kind of stuff, which you yourself have harmed, which you yourself have exploited, and you know it's you. And in that moment, your advocate says to the Father, please direct all of that righteous and good anger that you rightfully have towards that individual. Will you please direct all of that to me? So I will assume it all in his place, in her place. So that when you look at her, you will not see what she did. You will only see what I have done. And when you look at me, you won't see what I have done. You will see what he did. And so we're given this amazing picture of the Trinity because wrapped up in the wholeness of God, in the wholeness of God. So we can't, God is beyond our whole like uh, ability to comprehend, right? So we, we have to be given these pictures and analogies that kind of make sense in our minds. And, and so when we say the, Father, the, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's absolutely true. God exists in three persons, and he's given the title Father and the title Son and the title Holy Spirit for these very specific reasons because it demonstrates the functionality of God. So now the Father is not, is, is so the God is wrapped up in three persons, so he's wrapped up as the father, so it's, it's not only him who cannot let sin go unpunished, who goes after people who attack his children, who avenges the downtrodden and the poor and all this kind of stuff, and the orphan and the widow, but also wrapped up in the wholeness of God is the son who advocates for the oppressor, who defends the indefensible, who stands in the place of the accused, and somehow all of that is wrapped up in the fullness of God because you can be both. And don't think for a minute that you just because you've been oppressed that you cannot be an oppressor. Don't think for a minute just because you've been a victim that you cannot be a victimizer. All of us are in some way or another. We've all been given a raw deal. We've all had terrible things done to us or one way. We've all had people come after us unjustifiably and we can make the case for that. But we have all also stood in a similar role. And if you don't think you have, you're lying to yourself. This is why it says in 2 Corinthians 5 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus not only settles the credit card bill, right? Because when you pay your last credit card bill, it's not a personal thing. I mean, you might feel good. You're going to cut up your credit cards. You're going to say, I hate Visa, MasterCard. I'm never going to you know, use them again, which is why you should go to our financial peace class, because it'll teach you how to get there. So you're not a slave any longer to these institutions. But when you pay the last bill, the, the CEO of Visa isn't, doesn't feel better about you he's kind of bummed actually or she's kind of bummed because it's like well, I don't get their interest anymore but it doesn't change the relationship it's impersonal you're a number to them all you did was square the debt but it's different with God, because there's the debt of sin, but there's also the broken relationship, right? There's the we have beef, there's the emotional, justifiable anger that God has towards you because of the things that you've done, and people live in that, and they never release themselves from it, and they assume that God's always angry at them, but right here in the passage, it says no, it's not true. You've been released from the righteous anger of God, and so now you have nothing but the but, but God looking at you as a, as a beloved and chosen son or daughter. Whom he is well pleased with, because he has no choice but not to feel that way. He has to feel that way. He couldn't. He couldn't feel any way else. Like a father who's proud of his son, albeit undeservingly so. Even after all. And why? 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 Why do we go to all these lengths? Like, why would he do that? Because that's who he is. That's just who he is. He has mercy on the ignorant, the sinner. He forgives the felon and the guilty and the unfaithful. He opens their eyes. Now, you have to have your eyes open. You have to come to a place in your life where you recognize who you are and the effects of your sins and the depth of it. And when you see that and you realize that even after all, Jesus steps in, that is a powerful place to be. And so if you don't know, if you don't know that, if you don't know the degree to which God has rescued you from your sin, then you don't really know God. See, that's the thing. And this is what he's going to say. And so it says in verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. So we know that we know him, like you can do Do I know God? Yes. How? If I keep his commandments, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now what in the world does that mean? It means simply this, that if you know God and you say, you know what God, I wasn't a I was a fool. I was a I was a vandal. I was a, a cheater. I was a deceiver. I was a liar. I've been mean, all these things. And the second and third order consequences of my actions have reverberated out and brought pain and chaos into people's lives. And I recognize that because of that, I am justifiably an object of your anger. And yet at the same time, you would advocate for me because you love me. And you would set that aside and place it on your beloved son so that I could walk free. And when you really Really understand that, that revolutionizes everything in your life. It changes everything. Because how can you be angry at your neighbor when in the light of the forgiveness that's been shown to you? How can you still hold contempt for your fellow man when you've been released from the sins that you've done? Now, it doesn't mean that you'll always feel wonderful about other people, but the stranglehold that bitterness has on your life has no choice but to be released from you because you will see yourself along with everyone else as in massive need of forgiveness and thank God you're the one that's found it. And it rocks you to the core of your being. So when it says whoever keeps his commands, it doesn't necessarily mean the Ten Commandments. So what are the commands? It doesn't necessarily mean the Ten Commandments. However, I would say that the Ten Commandments, if you were to live them out, you would be the most attractive person that you know. Because everyone wants to be around someone who would live these out to their fullest extent because all the Ten Commandments are ethical and they're done in love. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not envy what your neighbor has. You want to live around people that think that way. You want to live around people who love God before their own pride, before money, before sex, and put him first. You want to live around people like that. Those are good people. And so that's a good place to start. But it's not about a code of ethics, guys, it's not. Because the love of God transforms you so that it says in verse six, by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. So he says, I'm writing these things to you so you will not sin. But if you sin, remember, you have this person who cleanses you from your sin totally and completely. And it's that that revolutionizes your life. And so now you begin to walk in a way that's different because why? Because, because your beliefs your, your life models what you believe as we've said at the very beginning your life models your beliefs so you got to take an inventory that. think about how you're living right now and, and, I, and I'll tell you this I know because I, I I'm like a I'm kind of wound up a little bit you know um, <laughs> yeah and and so I tend to run hot Um and like my wife's role in my life is to like she like listens and stuff and like okay, um, the engine's gonna burn out if it's if the tachometer stays in the red. So how do we we bring the RPMs down a little bit? Okay, and and so but I find so I tend to kind of go five steps further than I should, and and yet when when I when when that's happening in my life, guys, that's an indicator. That's an indicator that that I'm not. Really embracing and reuniting myself with what I know to be true about God and his love for me. Because when I begin to take out everything on everyone else, I'm forgetting what I myself have been set free from. Cause I'll tell you, as I was going through this and thinking through this and and developing this idea of what does it look like and looking at my own sin. And I mean, I tell you the story about the tire, I mean that's just that's ridiculous compared to the things I've actually done, but some of these are like, there's statues of limitations and everything. I've got to be careful what I say publicly. Um, and uh, so I figured I was safe with the tire. But, 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 I, but I say this to you because as I'm studying this and I'm looking at the scripture for what it actually says, I become a person that I think maybe looks a little more like Jesus than I was five minutes before and it translates into behavior that cannot help but be interpreted as love because my anger has been melted in light of God's mercy. What does it mean to love people? We were talking about this as a couple of us We don't, we just really hate preaching sermons on how to be more loving because it's so cliche. Be more loving, you know. There has to be specific ways to do that. That is what next weekend is for. You're going to hear next weekend. What is loving people in light of grace actually look like? But for now, you need to wrestle and contend with the love that God has for you and the complete comprehensive nature in which he has cared for your sins. I always say, if you if you think you can come up with something better, please try. Please, I, I'm available. Come, come tell me why you think this is foolish and there's a better idea. I, I, I've send this for 22 years in full-time ministry, and, and I've just never had anyone do it. No takers. And I've tried Being revolutionized by grace is the only thing that's going to help you. It's your only hope. You can try to contain your bad behaviors ethically, and you might do the world a service, but it's not going to change your life. It's not going to change you from the inside out. So I want to encourage you. All you have to do is take this for yourself and embrace it and say, God, I recognize. I mean, he's talking about a tire. In the course of life, it's way worse, and I know I'm guilty of these things, and yet you'd still speak for me because you love me. You'd still want to take all that, so that God, you would look at me favorably. Some of you guys are still beating yourself up over things you did a long time ago, and I, it's just the most unbiblical, wicked thing you could possibly do, because it's, it so minimizes the work of God in your life. Who you ha- you're not you're not helping anybody. You walk around guilty all the time. It's You've already been set free. What are you doing? I'll tell you what you're not doing. You're not reorienting yourself to what's already been done and you're gravitating back to the ways of the world. But God's bringing a new way of the world into the world. It's called the kingdom where the rules are different and his grace is what you live under, not the rules of the world. That's all I have for you. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, if you would like to begin a journey with Jesus, it's just simply saying to him, I'm ready, God. You know, Pastor Tim talked about a tire, and he's obviously extrapolating some details there, but I get the analogy. When we look into our hearts, and I look into my own heart, I realize there's much more grievous, deepest, deeper sin. that, And I'm asking you to take that to be my advocate, to be my forgiver, to set me free so I could walk in a new life. Thank you for the cross, which we sang about here, the freedom of the cross, because I know that my sins have been forgiven because of it, that you love me. And so today I want to begin my journey with you. Today I want to say you're the new owner of my life. You're the new commander. You're the one in charge. You're the boss. Which means I I listen to what you say and I take it as truth. So today I want to start that journey. If that's you, tell them that. Others of us, maybe you've prayed that prayer but you've been like slipping back into the old ways of thinking you know and you've forgotten what you've been saved from or you're you're reminded of it so often that you haven't really taken into account that that you have had an advocate and you're not held responsible for your sins anymore because Jesus was and you haven't been walking in that joy and that freedom and you need to start doing that again so just tell god right where you are say god Help me remember. Help me to walk in that grace, swim in that water of your forgiveness every day. That propitiation is beautiful. God, I just pray that we would understand these things and, and wrap our minds around them and that they would translate into actions that lead people so they can see that we're walking in a way that's familiar to them. We look like you, and we act like you. We put you on display so that other people may know that there's hope for them too. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.cobuschurch.info, and we'll see you next time.